What is going on, guys? And welcome to the Running the Point NBA podcast. And do we have a show for you today? So yesterday, Lakers and Rockets ended in a bit of a skirmish. That was pretty big. And also today on the show, we're going to be getting into the award predictions for this season. This was meant to come out um, one of the first days of the season. However, it got pushed back. And when I was going to release it, the Rockets and Lakers game happened. And I had to get stuck into that. Getting into it, the game ended 115 LA to 124 Houston, but when you watch the game itself, it was a lot closer than what the scores would show. It was really going um, back and forth a bit throughout the game, and I think some of the younger players looked good. Harden led the way with 36, 5, and 7 on 38 minutes. And I think the biggest issue for Lakers in this game was the bad three-point shooting. LeBron ended up 1-7 and seven himself. Um, Lonzo looked um, good. He was very active and he was the only decent three-point shooter at 4-8. And And I think his last one was a bit of just a prayer. So he shot um, very well. He was active on the boards. He got six and made an effort to go for offensive boards and make it a bit more difficult for Houston to get their um, defensive rebounds. He was very active on both ends of the floor. And he looks really comfortable um, getting in front of Harden. So I've heard lately that, especially after the first game, um, people like Jalen Rose saying that they don't. He doesn't think that ball fits in well with his Lakers side, which initially I didn't think. But um, just if he works his hard every game, then I think ball's going to be a really integral part of their future. Josh Hart's looking really good and very comfortable, especially in that first game against Portland for the Lakers. And they're still a young team, and I like how LeBron isn't like trying to take over completely in these first few games. And he's sort of getting a sense of his teammates before he sort of puts his stamp on the side. And oh, I really like I really like the approach he's taking. He's patient. He was patient this game and letting them make mistakes down the stretch of the game. And I think it was really good. So then, getting into the big news, the fight round one of CP3 versus Rajon Rondo. So when I watched the game, I watched it um, delayed because I was busy and I had the context of knowing that a fight was brewing eventually in the fourth quarter. And when you're coming from that perspective. You notice a lot more physicality and pushing that is more unusual than a normal NBA game. So essentially things got heated up um, when it escalated, when Ingram fouled Harden on the break and Harden ended up saying something to Ingram and apparently Ingram was getting stuck into quite a bit LeBron City's post-game conference and Ingram eventually snapped and went back at Harden and um, started to get into his face. The ref broke it up and then ball walked away with Ingram down the other end of the court. But whilst this is going on, Rondo and Paul, they were still talking at each other. And they started barking, barking. And then from what it looks like, Paul got into Rondo's face and stuck a hand in front of his face, as I'm sure you've seen from video. And then Rondo takes exception to this and doesn't stand for it. And essentially he just gives him, tries to smack him in the mouth, which probably... I guess a lot of players in the NBA would do that if someone was getting in their face like that. But what's happened is apparently this from Paul getting in Rondo's face all started because Rondo spat on Paul whilst this was happening. And you see after the fact um, this morning, um, there's posts by people like Rachel Nichols sewing down footage from a different camera angle. And the footage that was submitted by Houston to the league office had an angle from a fan that when slowed down, you can see Rondo sort of 
quickly flicking his mouth and spitting. You see a little bit of saliva come out. And then once Paul wipes his face and gets in the, and then gets into Rondo's face, that's when all hell breaks loose. There's a couple of hits. They both get a hit on each other, clean. And, yeah, it's really not a good look for the game, especially um, after what happened with the Malice in the Palace. Um, the NBA did really good to sweep that under the rug, the PR. Definitely got a raise after that. Also, I think when you're looking at it, you've really got to consider that there's a bit of a history between Rondo and Paul. Like They've never really got along against each other. It's interesting to see Chris Paul and how's this going to affect his standing as president of the Players' Union as well. I think I was really surprised seeing a player like him and a player like Rondo, especially two that are um, big leaders on their own sides and like Paul's always been a leader and so on. It's just very odd to see them both break in that sense. And I think it was... Oh, I don't think it's a good look on the sport. It's not a good reflection and there's no place for it in the game. And so there were um, fines levied down. Um, Woj reported this morning that Ingram received four game suspension because as this fight started breaking out between Rondo and Paul, Ingram runs from the other side of the court and essentially tries to sucker punch Rondo, um, jumping over the top. And the NBA is really harsh on those sorts of things. Um, If the third player comes in to escalate something, they're really harsh on them. If players leave the bench, they're very harsh on them. If you take a step, like it costs CJ McCullum like $50,000 for his foot just touching the court when there was a small thing happening in one of their games the other year. The NBA came down hard on Brandon Ingram, which I think was right. So he copped four games. Rondo copped three games. And also CP3 only got two, which I think you're going to set a bit more of an example. I think perhaps you should have bumped everyone up by a game. Um, at least. I was surprised that it was this short. Chris Paul did get fined over, I think it was $400,000. He got fined a very exorbitant amount, probably because he started, he essentially pushed it to a physical place, arguably, by putting his his hand in Rondo's face. And then um, Rondo also, I think, got a $200,000 fine and Ingram himself also received a 190, I think the number was. So it was very... um, just seeing, seeing this all unfold, it was really sort of opened up the Staples and that highlighted LeBron's first game at the Staples. Um, it was, as I said before, LeBron didn't really stamp himself on much. It was it was good to see that he was the one that calmed down CP3 and he went straight to him. He was the only yellow jersey around him, which rightfully so. I think the younger players would have got stuck into um, CP3 if they got close enough. Um. Yeah, it was really, I don't know, it just didn't look that good on the sport. I think that, yeah, as I said, you should really be um, a bit harsher on the sorts of penalties you do for these sorts of things because there is no room for the game for this in the game. I think it's interesting to also look at how this is going to be treated going forward, how this is going to be swept under the rug and then move on to the next thing. Um, it's really, the NBA's done a good job, as I mentioned, with Malice in the Palace, like sort of, Things that don't look good on the game, they sort of get past it really quickly. Um, And I think that's just a credit for NBA being one of the best um, managers of media in the sporting world.
obviously being in the West, they play each other quite a bit, which um, is going to be exciting to see this sort of rivalry bubble. If things do fall into line and the Lakers are successful this season and get a potentially top five seed, if Houston do meet the expectations that everyone's had of them going um, into the season as well and become a top two seed in the West, this could be a bubbling rivalry um, between the clubs. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how that goes. Will they potentially meet in the playoffs or so on? And I think ultimately it might be a good thing. Like you might be able to twist it into a good thing. It's terrible seeing fights like this, especially from uh, the leader of the players' union. It doesn't give them much leverage, as you can imagine. And yeah, are they going to get into a, a rivalry going forward? And the media is definitely going to bring up the fight again, as you will imagine. And it's going to be quite interesting to see how it goes. In hindsight, it might be sort of galvanizing the sides, like in their own locker rooms. And it might help them go forward. So I think, yeah, there's a there's a lot to take away from this, but it's very early in the season and things could go any which way or what. But what I've just been surprised with the Lakers themselves coming forward is how low people are on Lonzo Ball. Like, I'm going to admit, I didn't think that he was going to be most impactful for the side, but just seeing, like, I'm really growing on him, like, the more I watch him play and the more I hear of him, like if he can get his three-point consistent, then I think that's awesome and that's going to definitely help him. And yeah, because that's essentially where he's going to be with so many ball handlers on this side. Like you've got LeBron who's dominant, you've got Rondo who's dominant, you've got Ball that ever since he's played basketball, like at UCLA and even last year, he was a dominant ball handler. Caldwell Pope can even, even put the ball on the deck and I think with that sort of length, the one thing that if he was to get traded... I don't know, this was just a spur-of-the-moment thought, but looking at sides that need point guards, a team like Orlando's looking for lengthy, long players. They don't have a point guard. Could you potentially see a trade with Lonzo going to Orlando just to fit that mould? I don't think it's going to happen just simply based on the optics of things with Lonzo being like associated with Los Angeles, the city of L.A., and you don't really see many chips that would make it sort of incentivized for that to, that type of trade to occur. But potentially Vucevic has always been on the trade market. And if Lonzo somehow, his trade stock just dips, I could definitely see that happening. You could see Orlando taking a flyer on him. Um, I'm sure you're going to have to fit in a bit of salary around it. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting thought. Like, could Lonzo get shipped out of LA and where would be a good spot for him to land? Um, there's obviously going to be talk of Phoenix being a young side and so on. Um, I don't see much incentive for LA with some of the pieces that they've got. Yeah, it's just, I think this LA side's really interesting. And like, as I mentioned in the preseason, there is a bit of a um, curiosity factor with LA in the, in the NBA arena. So... Hey, so I'm coming in again in post-production and I just wanted to talk about a point that I heard recently regarding the suspensions that were dealt by the NBA. So I was listening to the Jalen Jacoby podcast and I heard heard Jalen Rose reference the Bobby Portis incident with Nikola Mirotic and the fines that were levied down from that. So... 
the Bulls, not the NBA, actually suspend Bobby Porters for punching Nikola Mirotic in practice. And he ended up getting an eight-game suspension for a punch that happened behind the scenes that wasn't on national TV or international TV, considering him in Australia watching it on ESPN. And Chris Paul, Rajon Rondo, Brandon Ingram all get under five games for a brawl with clear punches on one of the biggest games of the first week of the season. So I just think it's very um, inconsistent. And there's been a lot of chatter going on about this regarding the impact it has on the franchise that the NBA is pushing. So there's been a lot of talk online about is the NBA protecting the Lakers and not wanting them to struggle to make the playoffs by suspending Brandon Ingram and Rajon Rondo, two of their starters. And I think that's a fair theory to be um, brought up. It's very clear that this type of incident should have garnered over five games each, minimum. So Chris Paul only Chris Paul got the least amount of games. I think he should have got five because he did initiate all of this. I think Brandon Ingram should have got the harshest at over 10 perhaps. And I think, yeah, Rajon Rondo should have stayed at about the middle. But he did escalate it with a punch, so he should have got more than Chris Paul. But I just think that it's really weird to see the way that the NBA has dealt out this. Even back in 2015 when J.R. Smith was suspended for punching Jay Crowder, we just oh, hit him clean right hook. It he only got a two-game suspension, and I think that NBA is going to be a lot harsher on these punching, these flagrant sort of strikes that are occurring. And I think they've got to put their foot in the ground and avoid having something like what happened in Malice in the Palace happen again by putting a cold hard line in the sand saying, if you cross over this, you're going to get penalised very, very harshly. And if they're going to sort it out, I think they've got to sort it out behind the scenes because it's just wrong seeing someone like Bobby Portis who got out for eight games for a punch that happened in practice behind closed doors and the only news of it, there was no video shown or nothing. And you hear, you hear a lot of stories about players like Kevin Garnett and so on that behind closed doors that they got into fights with their teammates and... That just sort of is normal for them. And I think you've got to really have a look at the precedent that's been set previously and also the image that you want to show for the game. And I think they were very soft on the penalties that they dealt out. And I think there's a clear bias towards this Lakers team that the NBA really wants to push and market for the season. So, yeah, let's get into the award predictions for the season. So for the award predictions for the upcoming season, this is going to be... I'm going to start with the MVP because I think this is one of the more open years for the MVP. You see some of your traditional people... You see your traditional contenders for the MVP, like your James Hardens, your Steph Currys, your Kevin Durant's... Giannis is Davis, LeBron's, and so on. And you can sort of, there's always a reason to talk yourself out of one of them. Like, 
you look previous in previous years historically, apart from like Westbrook and who was the other player, apart from essentially Westbrook in recent history, all players to win MVP have come from a top three seed in their respective conference. Westbrook broke the mold the year he won MVP because he got because of the having a triple double and so on. It just overshadowed everything else that anyone else did in the league. And there's a lot of people in hindsight saying that Harden should have won it that year, but that's another story for another day. This year, there's a lot of ways to talk yourself out of someone. I think a player like players like Durant and Steph, which I have listed as contenders, people saying they cancel each other out and so on, and you expect them to get over 60 wins. If they get 62 wins, you've it's just... You sort of expected it. It's like how how much have they lit, how much have they lifted their respected sides, and especially being able to do it together, you can talk yourself out of them. Someone like Harden, he's losing the narrative because last year they had such a great year, having the best um, record in the league, and he's being a big part of that. He's won his MVP, and in he came second in the previous three MVPs, so he's sort of losing that narrative. What about player like LeBron? Is is he even going to be high enough in the league? Is he going to be too old to put up these MVP type numbers? Best in the league, he's certainly short at least an MVP or two for the type of player that he is. And yeah, it's also players like Kawhi Leonard. Who knows? He played eight games last year and sat out the year. Is he going to be happy in? Toronto. He certainly looks like he's playing okay, but he's going to put up MVP numbers that he did before his injury. And then that leaves two players in from the contenders that are left to be my prediction for for this year's MVP. I've the one thing dividing these two players, in my opinion, is seeding, and I see it a lot more likely that Giannis is going to be a top three seed in the East then Davis is even going to be a fifth seed in the West. And if Davis is not a top three seed in the West, I don't see a world where he wins that unless he's averaging 35 and 12 and 6 and 2 and 1 and a half. I don't see a world where that's... Unless he's doing something like that, that if he's in a fifth seed or lower, that he wins the MVP. So that's why I'm picking Giannis this year. You see the way his game's opening up with how Budenholz is coming in, stretching the floor. Everyone, even in the first two games, you've seen John Henson hit three standing in the corner. And if you've got to respect John Henson in the corner, do you know how much room that's going to give Giannis to operate? He's already, like, this year he's struggling to adapt to the new rule changes and so on. He's been picked up for a few holding and other things with the new rule changes. But once he adapts to that, he's going to be unstoppable. I'm thinking the same thing for Davis, but... I just think if Giannis is able to get a top three seed, that might be more to do with Coach Bud coming in than it would be to do with Giannis actually improving. But nonetheless, I just don't see a world... I think I've more cancelled out Davis than I've given it to Giannis because I think prospect-wise, they're both neck and neck being two of the best in the league. And I just think this this year might be the year where Giannis wins the MVP. And I just think he's... How is he not the favourite? So other other two players I think that are strong considerations are also Davis and Kawhi. And then everyone else, like LeBron, Harden, Durant and Steph, I can just see voters talking themselves out of them and giving it to another player. 
like Giannis or Davis or Kawhi. Also, dark horses and long shots, just to be mentioned and keep an eye out on, Kyrie, Russell Westbrook, Lillard, and John Wall. I think with a player like Kyrie, like he's had an average start to the season in, term, in the past few games. However, if Boston can have the best record in the league, the voters are going to have to sort of respect that and give votes to Boston because if they don't get a top five player and they end up having 62, 63 wins this year, then there's going to be something wrong. And historically, best player on the best team is definitely something that um, is a storyline that carries through an MVP. And I can certainly see um, Kyrie getting love in that case. If he puts up strong numbers this year, you could see it happening. Russell Westbrook, I don't, I honestly don't think he's going to win another MVP, but he's just one of the best players in the league and he's ferocious and people love that and you just got to get respect him to say, hey, look, he's a chance to average another triple jump double for a third straight year. And when that's only happened one time, let alone three straight times potentially, then you got to respect that. Lillard, uh, he's had years where he struggled to make the all-star team. So why am I putting up here as a dark horse or a long shot for MVP? I just think he's clutch. I just think he's, when at the games on the line, he's in your top few players that you want on your team, on your five. Um, I think if Portland somehow have an awesome season, I've, I've ranked them to do worse. But if they have an awesome season, I could see him getting it. And even the same with John Wall, it seems like if this is sort of... He, he needs to make this his year if he wants to be a superstar and he wants to be the type of player who talks himself up to be John Wall. Uh, it's just... It's it's really tough with him. Like, you see all these things. Like, he's if when he wants, he's a good defender. He's one of the fastest players in the league. He's put on a bit of muscle, so hopefully he can finish at the ring a bit more consistently. But he gets there, he gets to the line. His three-point shots are a bit inconsistent, but you've seen him hit three-point game winners. And I can see a world where John Wall, they just over-exceed the expectations. A lot of play, um, pundits and so on are down on the Washington Wizards this year. And if they over-exceed expectations, John Wall has a ripper year. Like he's averaging mid to high 20s and he's got 11 or 12 assists and if he's pushing the floor and he's got a few highlights like huge blocks and big dunks and so on, you can definitely see a sort of um, narrative that's pushing his his favour and you could definitely get a few votes this year. But in saying that, Giannis is my pick for this year's MVP. He was starting out as fourth favourite and when he gets adapted to the rule changes and Coach Bud's system sort of opens up and gives him more room to operate. He gets more assists and helps his other teammates around him grow. I really see this as being the year for Giannis. So we've done the MVP. Probably of the awards, another of the more interesting and open awards this year, the Rookie of the Year. So I think, low-key, this has been a pretty good start for the rookies this season with most teams about two games in at the moment. Um, I think that you go through and pretty much all of the top eight have a chance at Rookie of the Year. It's really interesting. You've got some of the long shots like Wendell Carter Jr., Kevin Knox who got injured. I don't know the status on his injury. Colin Sexton and Trey Young. I've got them all as dark horses. Oh, I don't see Trey Young winning this year, even though he's had a lot of buzz, quite simply because he's so small. And I feel like 
as the season goes on, he's going to get ex- exposed for his inefficiencies a bit more. But today, when I just watched the game of him against the Cavs, like I know it's the Cavs, but he's, I think the more I watch Trey Young in the preseason and now in the regular season, the more I start to like him. He has a lot of things that really frustrate me with his game. Like he did a contested three-point shot with 10 seconds left on the shot clock with Tristan Thompson in his face. That really frustrated me. But apart from that, the way he runs the pick and roll, runs the offense, gets his teammates involved, oh, he's... He's really, he's really powerful at that at this age at seeing the floor pretty well. He holds the ball a little bit longer than I'd like. I'd like him to work a bit better off ball. But apart from that, he's he draws a lot of gravity and he helps his teammates get involved, which is something I really rate in a player like a point guard, especially a young one. And I think it's very promising for his offensive game going forward. It's just the other player. I just think so early in his career, guards are going to struggle to grow. Again, Colin Sexton, there's there's definitely a world where the Cavs somehow pinch the seventh seed and Sexton goes off and then there's this whole storyline around him being the saviour of Cleveland. I think he's more of a long shot than he is a dark horse. Um, Kevin Knox, again, he's got injured, so depending on the severity of his injury, that might be his um, his candidacy gone. Seems like in the regular season he struggled a bit in his first few games anyway, so... It's only two games, as you know, and he's got a big frame. But, um, yeah, he is a bit of a long shot. And then Wendell Carter Jr., it seems like he doesn't do... From what I've seen, he's a great defensive presence and he's definitely a good modern big. But I just don't think he's going to put up the numbers this year. But I do like him as a prospect. I think he's going to be really good. Um, Going in, again, up into the contenders, you got... Jaron Jackson and Marvin Bagley. There's definitely a world where Marvin Bagley just gets the run and just puts up stats and takes home Rookie of the Year. Same with Jaron Jackson. I think if Grizzlies overperform, Marcus Sol's um, declines a bit and then he gets in the media a bit more and he seems like he's got a likable personality and I think he's the youngest in the draft. So he's going to be looking really good in a couple of years, just like Devin Booker, with players coming into the league that are young, that are older than him and he's developing at a high ra- higher rate than them. He's going to look like a better prospect, similar in the vein of Devin Booker. But at the end of the day, I think it's a two-horse race. Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton. And I've been flipping between them for a while for a long time. Originally, it was Doncic simply based on the fact that he was the best player in the second best league in the world. He's played with NBA-bodied men. That sounded a bit weird. He's played against people bigger than him. He can command the ball and see the floor awesome and really run it. He just put up 28 points the other day for Dallas, and he's... I think he's, you see his step-back game and he's really putting up some highlights and getting involved in some of his highlight plays. And I think really you can see a world where Dallas Ofer performs and he's given all the credit for it. <clears throat> he's got a few vets around him. Jamal Murray's grabbing his calf right now. Walking it off, he should be fine, but still not good for a young player. Doncic definitely can win Rookie of the Year, and he's been my favourite all the way up until now. I think DeAndre Ayton's going to win it this year. I think that 
Phoenix is going to put everything into him. Um, I like the way that Kokoshkov's playing him in the early, having him sort of similar to when Drummond was played last year and having him at the high pick and roll with handoffs. You saw that in the game where Booker went off against Dallas. He, um, the handoffs where Booker was stepping back. Um, Aiton's already got a great uh, mid-range jump shot. It looks a bit funky when you first see it, but arguably it's better than Embiid's um, jump shot from mid. Um, he passes better than Embiid. Um, he's a lot younger than Embiid. He's like three or four years younger than Embiid. Aiton might be a really, really good prospect. He's definitely got <clears throat> a lot less of the injury concerns that Embiid does as well. Um, he's going to have a lot of opportunity in this Phoenix offense. Um, it seems like Kokoshkov loves running um, the ball through him and getting touches, and he's letting him work and go through his pains. He had a very bad defensive game against um, Jokic, letting Jokic get a perfect triple-double or whatever that stat was where he didn't miss for 11 shots. And Jokic is looking good as well. He's looking a lot stronger, and he can command the post really well like he did last year as well. But I think Aiton, with his NBA-sized body, when he gets a little bit stronger and used to the way people are playing throughout the year, I think this is Aiton's to lose. Um, I just think that with all the vets going around on Dallas as well, don't you just going to lose a little bit more of the run, potentially? Um, Carlisle hasn't liked playing rookies a lot. But last year he played um, Dennis Smith a bit last year. So I think this is DeAndre Ayton's year to win the Rookie of the Year. And who knows, potentially next year, Doncic can win it. So the next award that we're going to be looking at, Coach of the Year. You go through, there's a lot of great coaches in this league. Heaps. Like looking at some of the dark horses and that, such as Mike Malone, Greg Popovich, Brett Brown, Eric Spolstra, Doc Rivers, Rick Carlisle, Alvin Gentry, if their teams overperform the expectations and I don't know somehow slide in for a third seed, you can def- or third or second seed or something ridiculous, just a ridiculous jump, you can see them winning. Um, but going into the contenders and so on, I think Dan Tony, Quinn Snyder, Steve Kerr, Coach Bud, and that leaves my pick this year with Brad Stevens. He hasn't won it yet in the past few years. He's had a bit of buzz for Coach of the Year and. It seems like the media just loves Brad Stevens and he could do no wrong. Um, Voters tend to favour the players and coaches that haven't won it yet and have had buzz for a couple of years, so I think that's going to work for him. Um, He's going to be on a top two record side in the league. Um, He he doesn't... Recently, the past couple of days, I've heard a bit of buzz about people saying that Boston doesn't have a top 15 player, yet they have five top 50 players, which arguable where Kyrie is, but based on injury, perhaps you can say he's not a top 15 player. I'm not saying he isn't. I think he's up, He's got the upside of a top 10 player. However, sort of Brad Stevens just having a few years of just constantly improving year in, year out. Brad Stevens, just the likability fact, how he's been called a wizard by coaches like Kerr and Pop saying they take stuff from his um, playbook and they run it in their own styles and so on. I think this could really work for um, Brad Stevens in his favour. I think it's similar to James Harden. He's had a buzz for a few years and could be his year to win it. If they get the best seed in the league like I expect they will, he will win it. And just based on 
he doesn't have four or five All-Stars. I think that's what he's going to have it over Coach Kerr. You can see Quinn Snyder winning it, seeing them um, take another leap. Budenholzer, again, with the same case as I've had for Giannis, he could win it. And then some of those long-shot teams, it's just the same thing. It's just whoever makes the biggest leap on expectations in the year wins Coach of the Year most years or just does a ridiculous job. And I think Brad Stevens is going to win it this year. Defensive Player of the Year. I think there's about five players that could truly win it. Um, and of these dark horses and long shots, I don't see any of them actually winning it. But for the sake of the exercise, I've got to talk about them. Paul George, he was top one of the top steals uh, leaders in steals and deflections last year. Drew Holiday, he's just his defense has improved in the past couple of years so much. And he's, I think, did he make the All Defensive Team last year? Anyway, Drew Holiday is definitely a dark horse. And Horford as well. I think Horford did such a good job on Embiid, and I can't get over how well he did considering the size disadvantages and athleticism disadvantages he had on Embiid. And Embiid had a shocker of a series, apart from a couple of spurts where he just had quarters where he dominated. I think Horford is one of the best defensive centers in the league as well. He's just so smart, and you saw that in the game against Philly. He's just... One step ahead of a, a lot of players on the opposing side, and I think Horford's underrated in that um, instance. Um, I don't see any if one else sniffing the list. Players like LeBron don't try. Oladipo carries too much of an offensive burden, and the way he sort of he's a good defender. Don't get me wrong, Oladipo, but they don't make him the primary defender on the best like guard or forward. He sort of plays on similar to LeBron where he just pays, plays a passing lanes and helps start like the break for the paces and so on. But yeah, contenders. You've got Kawhi, Draymond, Embiid, Gobert, and then my pick, Anthony Davis. So yeah, Davis. I think one thing that might give him the Defensive Player of the Year is that he won't win the MVP and the voters feel like he deserves something because he's going to have that tremendous of a year. Um, and I think that's how he's going to get Defensive Player of the Year. Um, he's already great switchable. He's the prototypical modern big. He can switch on the perimeter. He's quick laterally. He's physical. He gets your blocks. He can test well. Doesn't foul as often as some other um, defenders like Embiid. Um, Gobert, he won it last year. I think he can win it again this year. He's probably one of my second picks. I just think that sort of you get a bit of a fatigue, voter fatigue. And I think they're going to feel bad for Anthony Davis that he didn't win MVP, even though both sides of the floor, he's going to kill it. Um, Draymond Green as well. I think he could um, get back into the conversation again, rightfully so healthy. And Kawhi Leonard is always, always a contender for defensive player of the year. He's ridiculous. The other day floating around, there was a photo of Kawhi's hand and he was, for whatever reason, he had his hand, in the context, he had his hand on the um, umpire. And the size of his hand was as big as the ref's torso and like that's barely an exaggeration. It was ridiculous. And I just can't get over like the on-ball defense of Kawhi, how smart he is. He's like a Iguodala with like a bigger body and it's just... Is strong and does everything that you really want in your defensive wing, Kawhi. Well, I just think Anthony Davis is going to win it. And I think he's going to get heaps of buzz for MVP. And because of his seeding, he's not going to get it. And quite simply, defensive player of the year seeding doesn't really matter as much. 
And I just think it's Anthony Davis's to lose. You just see the way he defends in all different aspects of defense. And he, he's really improved on that end of the floor in recent years as well. And he's going to have the stat, defensive stats to prove it like he did last year. And I think this is going to be his year to win it. So most improved player. This is an interesting one because literally the whole league. Oh, good. Jamal Murray's back on the court. How well-timed. And, yeah, I've got Dark Horses. I've got Gary Harris, who's a player I really like. Stanley Johnson and Justice Winslow. They're both just people speak so much on their bodies and how they sort of can be a modern wing, but they just feel those inefficiencies like they're shooting and dribbling that can't take him to the next step. you got Tobias Harris, who this year is going to have a lot of room to operate in this Clippers team. He doesn't really have anyone ahead of him offensively, and he's a good defender as well. Quite literally any point guard in last year's draft could win most improved, like Fultz, Ball, Smith Jr., Fox, so on. Jabari Parker could win it. Levine could win it. Um, D'Angelo Russell could win it as well. Literally anyone you could pick that's under 25 could win it. I think er there's only been like two players over 25 in the past like 20 years, and I think it's like Jalen Rose and... Who's the other one? It's like Jalen Rose and Hito Turkoglu. The only two players in like the last 20 years to win most improved and be over 25. So you're looking at a younger player, obviously. Contenders, I'm going to include my pick here as well. You've got Julius Randle, Sabonis, Murray, Turner, Gordon, Josh Hart, and my pick, Brandon Ingram. So you go through the list of players and... Not a lot of them do you see can produce reliably on both ends of the floor this year. I think LeBron's going to make Ingram look better. You already hear LeBron the way he's talking about Ingram. Um, he sort of sees the potential of the young, the young gun. Um, it's going to give him more room to operate because LeBron's just going to have that gravity on the floor. It's going to give Ingram a chance to show off his ball handling a bit better, which is a lot. Which is. It's going to give Ingram a better chance to show off his ball handling, which has been much improved in the last year. And when there's a player that's over 6'8", they can dribble. It just looks really good. <laughs> um, his three ballers improved to 39 last year, and it went up from the year before. Um, he can stretch it, the floor, shoot off the dribble as well, looking good, sort of Kevin Durant-esque, which is where a lot of people call him Kevin Durant, just simply from being lanky. Got to the line a bit in preseason, so hopefully he can... Keep doing that a bit more this year. His preseason free throw was 80%, which is better than 68 during last year's season. He got up to the line eight times per game in these five preseason games. So, like, the sample size is larger than what you'd expect for preseason. Um, and the year before, he got to the line only five times. So, hopefully, he's more aggressive driving. Um, and also, when you get into the free throw line, it opens up your offensive game a lot more. For example, James Harden and DeMar DeRozan are elite getting to the line. It helps getting out of shooting slumps as well, being able to get those free throws. And if you're driving well, defenses tend to take a step off you. And that in turn opens up your shooting. So with Ingram's improved um, shots shooting off the dribble, you can definitely see his offensive game expanding a lot this year. I'd like to see higher steals. Um, Last year, he was only 0.8 per game, and just with his like his body, it seems like he could just get so many steals. He had a negative net rating, actually, last year. Um, same as J.R. Smith's negative 26. However, improved from the season prior, which was negative 
but that's saying that's just product of being in a bad side. You had a lot of players like Kuzma and other Lakers starters who had similar numbers. So yeah, I just think I didn't want to say Brandon Ingram just because of that Lakers hype. And when you really look into it, I think Ingram, it's definitely set there for him to have a breakout year this year, becoming the second fiddle to LeBron and really making this uh, Lakers side look a lot more appealing. They're fun to watch the Lakers as well. And with this sort of thing, it's always that helps. You have a fun up-tempo side with a lot of um, media attention. That's definitely going to help them in terms of awards and so on. So I th- this year, I think Brandon Ingram can win most improved um, after his fight where he's going to lose four games or getting involved. That might not look good and the NBA might try and boycott him somehow. But nonetheless, I think a player like him, even Randall used to be there and Sabonis looking really good. And Josh Hart as well. He's looking really comfortable um, being on ball. Aaron Gordon had a better year last year, but I just don't think he's going to get enough attention in um, Orlando. And yeah, my pick is Randall Ingram. All right, so looking at six men of the year. Long shots that you got to sort of consider going for it. Uh, perhaps Trey Burke, if you, I could see him really getting a bit of a hot streak and being in that New York market, you could definitely see a bit of media attention for him for six man of the year coming off the bench. But if he does, um, Bobby Portis, I, th- I think he's a really strong player and he's due to go to another side. Um, I just think he's, he's potentially starting power forward. He just makes a lot of mistakes and you saw that um, with some of the first few games he's had at the start of the year, but he is dominant, strong, physical player. Also, Spencer Dinwiddie, um, he's one of my uh, favourite point guards coming off the bench, due for a bit of money coming up soon. Kyle Kuzma, similar to Trey Burke, going to get a lot of buzz. He is definitely starting quality talent and still growing, so you could definitely see him getting to the six-man race if he um, qualifies. And Jay Crowder as well. You're going to see a lot of... Team success is going to play into Jay Crowder getting it. He is a good player. He has had a lot of good years at Boston. And I guess all those players could be a bit of um, dark horse and long shots. But yeah, getting into the what I consider contenders. Got to look at Fred Van Vliet. He had a lot of buzz last year and he was up there in the voting. Um, Lou Will as well, who won it last year. Um, he's getting a little bit older. However, he was he's always been kept up this very similar efficiency in the past few years. Last year, he just had a lot more opportunity and his efficiency didn't dwindle. So that's definitely a good thing going forward with him getting older. He's on a team-favorable contract, which the Clippers have managed very well. Eric Gordon as well. He's always going to get a bit of buzz for the sixth man of the year. Team success will play a lot into him. Uh, Tyrek Evans, assuming he qualifies. Um, he's very. He had a, a little bit of buzz last year. If the Pacers make a leap, um, team success will definitely play in. I think a lot of them... When I'm looking at awards myself, I put a high emphasis on team success personally. And you're seeing if a team's going to make a leap, voters look to find a reason for that and reward a team. And I think in six men, if you look at a team like the Pacers, that if um, they develop as a side a bit more and make a push for a top four seed in the East, you could definitely see someone like Tyreek Evans being rewarded. Julius Randle or Miritich, if whichever one qualifies, um, they're definitely going to be in the conversation. Miritich has had a blistering start to the season with his first couple of games. 
And Julius Randle, we saw it last year, how dominant he can be down long stretches of the year. And also, perhaps the best point guard, the best backup point guard in the league, who's just a starting, who's an average, below average starting point guard turned best backup point guard, Dennis Schroeder. If OKC find team success, like I've mentioned a million times, you can see Schroeder getting some buzz. He's, um, I. I sort of like him coming off the bench a lot more. I think with a lot of those players that don't particularly play a lot of defense, they have a lot more appeal coming off the bench. But my pick for this year in the sixth man of the year race is going to be Terry Rozier. So there's going to be a bit of buzz about him with last year and how well he did in the starting role. And moving down the position to a backup role, he's going to have to be similar to Schroeder in that he's going to be perhaps an average starting point guard. However, he's going to be an overqualified backup point guard, and that's going to play favorably to him, um, killing to, um, those teams that don't have the depth on the bench. He's very aggressive, and voters love that, and especially team success. They're going to do really well this year, Boston. They lost to Orlando, was that today? They lost to Orlando recently, and I think that they just didn't shoot well that game. He's loud and boisterous. You can definitely see the media getting behind that. And also, Lou Will's getting a little older a year after he won it. So I think this year it could be Terry Rozier's year to win sixth man. And I think if Boston makes the leap that I expect them to make, if Boston makes the leap that I expect them to take, then I think voters are going to reward them various places because I don't think they're going to win an MVP. However, in coach of the year and sixth man of the year, and potentially executive of the year. They didn't make extra many extra additions, but if they make a couple more tweaks that sort of push them into contending head-to-head with Golden State, you can see them getting executive of the year at any age. But, yeah, it's I think that Boston's going to be rewarded in other ways except for MVP for their jump that I expect them to make, and that's going to be sixth man of the year for Rosier and also in coach of the year for Brad Stevens. So thank you for listening to the podcast. It's hopefully a bit shorter than last time, be over 40 minutes, but I think that's a good number to keep them at. Um, running down in what the picks were for this year, MVP I had Giannis. Rookie of the year I had DeAndre Ayton, even though I swapped because I was so high on Dodgich going into the draft. Coach of the year, Brad Stevens. Defensive player of the year, Anthony Davis. Most improved brand in Ingram and Terry Rozier for six man of the year. <laughs> Executive of the year, I'm just not going to touch. I feel like that could chop and change. I wouldn't be surprised if Rob Plinka and Magic Johnson get it just for getting LeBron, which fair enough, but uh, I don't really consider that much of an award. In This is more players awards. And yeah, thank you for listening again. Remember you can hear podcasts anywhere you listen to them. Just search for running the point NBA show. And you'll be on to the next podcast. Look for it in the coming days. Um, There's been a lot of NBA news going on. I think it's going to be a very good upcoming season, as I've mentioned. It's a lot of storylines. And yeah, I'd like to thank you again for listening. Cheers.